0: My name is Dwayne Default, and welcome to Selling SaaS, a podcast that's built to get you the best advice from the top experts for go-to-market strategies, sales, and product-led growth. Now, let's get into today's episode. My consultancy, like my agency, I work with tech founders, help them grow into a go-to-market, and they'll they'll have disparate systems. They'll have like a a CRM and they'll have this scheduler and they'll have this marketing tool and they'll have this spreadsheet. And I show them like how I use my HubSpot account and they're like, Oh my gosh, we don't need that right now. And I feel like I have a lot of those conversations of, okay, cool. You're at this point, but in order to get to where you want to go and hit this goal, you need to have something that gets you there. But then they see that daunting build out of all of the tech systems and whatnot. And so do the sales reps at HubSpot, I don't know, I'm kind of getting technical here for a second, but do the sales reps find themselves being more of like futuristic sales reps? Like they're selling more of what a company could do on a platform like that versus like solving major, major problems? Like where's like where is that balance?
1: Yeah. It's interesting. So it, it depends on the company stage. So What I would say, a a good percent of our sales in our small business segment, right, which is companies that have 25 and fewer employees, good percent is actually getting companies, smaller businesses, as you're talking about startups, off of disparate tools. They have the marketing tool. They might be using spreadsheets or they're using a, you know, a different CRM that's not a mature CRM, you know, at this point and they've gotten to a breaking point where their systems aren't speaking to each other so they don't have the right data and ability to you know see a fuller picture on their customer journey their go to market and so and you have different billing dates you have different admins and experts and so there's a time to consolidate and we see a good percent of our companies that have 25 or fewer employees make that shift and that's why the HubSpot platform's great for them but we also that is the the That's the segment where we're also seeing companies who want to invest in their long-term growth and part of that investment, and we talked about this earlier, like that longer-term strategy planning includes how do you set up your systems tech stack infrastructure for success so that it doesn't become a burden to your growth. And that is, I think, where, you know, the uh, HubSpot comes in. As some companies mature, they have some of those systems in place. And so unlocking you know, some of that migration need, et cetera, is might be a bit more challenging.
0: It's an interesting conversation that I, I find myself in in the middle of all the time because it's, you don't know what you don't know, right? If if you don't know what's possible because you are in the day-to-day of the current way your systems are, your status quo isn't bad. And so it's like getting vision on what good looks like to enable the growth mindset. And I, and I, I, I talked to a lot of founders that, they're like, oh no, it's fine, it's not broken. And then you ask them a question about like, you know, sales activity, data attribution. And first off, they're like, what the hell is that? And then second, they're like, I didn't even know you can track your marketing campaigns to an opportunity in one report to let me know that I should stop spending money on this campaign because it, it gives our sales team a horrible opportunity. And yeah, it's 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 an interesting conversation, just because again, I feel like to sell something as quote unquote complex as HubSpot, like you really have to be like infinitely curious. Cause there are so many and, and it needs any sales roles like that. Like you gotta have a level of curiosity if you really want to make an impact for a prospect. And you'll make more money that way, anyways. But <laughs> anyways, I love sales and I love that empathy and caring and and showing that level of curiosity and learning about your prospects. And then like when that light bulb goes off, you're like, ooh. I know something that can help. And then you have to like hold back the excitement. I still get that. Uh, So pivoting a little bit. So you've been at HubSpot for over five years, almost six years, well, closer to five years. And you just went on a month sabbatical. You were gone for a month. You're an SVP at a publicly traded company, large role, manage a ton of people. Like, first off, how the hell is that possible to take a month off? And then secondly, like, we were kind of talking a little bit before we started recording of some of the learnings or the aha moments you had from that. So I'd, I'd love to figure out, like, what first off, what made it possible to take a month off?
1: Yeah. Well, so Humspot has a sabbatical program. So once you hit your five years, you have a year to take a month-long sabbatical. It has to be a calendar month. And you also get a bonus for your five years that you can use and you get your full compensation for the month that you're out. Very cool. And it is it's like a rite of passage. You know, everyone cheers you on, say congratulations. Everyone wants to know what you're doing. And so so it's wonderful because you have everyone that you're working with excited for you. And and I think there is a real culture of. No one wants you to be involved in work while you're on sabbatical because they don't want to either, and so it's really respected. And so, you you know, I some of my peers were also on sabbatical, and some, you know, were hiked New Zealand for the entire time. Or we know people who hiked Mount Kilimanjaro. They backpacked in Asia, and. I moved out of my renovation into a rental home in my down the street from my house <laughs>
0: right. and a little different.
1: <laughs> got a, I got away for five days with my daughter in Miami. But but I will say, you know, and you and I chat about this before we hopped on here, just the ability to get your thinking to come down like just a gear to slow down the brain to like relieve yourself of the constant dopamine hits of slack and text and email and i have to hop into this next meeting and here's an ad hoc and the back-to-backs like being able to just quiet the mind and think about what's important and where you can improve personally professionally was just it was a real gift it was a it was a great amount of time off
0: were there any things that one i firmly believe in the time off thing it's it's There was a quote from Jocko Willink when it comes from always grinding. It's like, what's left over? Or maybe it's not Jocko Willink. I'm thinking maybe of Tim Grover, but he was talking about like, if you're always grinding, what's left of the stone? It's dust. And so it's it's being able to take it at sprints and be able to reset and recover. And I used to struggle with that. I was like, no, if I'm resting, then I, I have the ability to do something. And it's like, I wouldn't sit. I wouldn't do anything like still somewhat of that today with certain things. But like part of like stepping away is like part of the process. That's part of, you know, the quote unquote hustle for lack of a horrible cliche term. It's like it has to be there. So one congratulations on the five years and being able to get the sabbatical. That's cool. And then like coming back were there any realizations of things that you shouldn't do anymore like maybe was there something that you were doing all the time or that you found yourself in the middle of that you felt like you had to do that when you came back you're like this really isn't important i should stop doing this thing or were was there anything like that
1: Yeah i mean so one of my big takeaways was simplicity Yeah yeah we were talking about that that's right Yeah like both personally and professionally i think you know just too much stuff you know, I think like I let my kids buy trinkets and inevitably the trinkets get thrown away within probably six to nine months and how many trinkets you need. And, you know, so it's just just simplicity and reducing clutter and noise. And in the work life, you know, I oversee a bunch of teams and I, I try to give my teams a lot of autonomy. And my hope is, you know, that there is innovation that comes out on how they want to run their businesses. And I get to see you know, leaders of mine, my VPs run their businesses, you know, at scale. And some of them do performance manage differently than others. Some of them run a culture, their culture different than others. And I get to kind of see the best of all of them. And what I realized is like, we have to one share the best stuff, but then how do we help everyone reduce the noise so you don't have to recreate the wheel? And so simplicity was a big one is just focusing on less And doing fewer things really well instead of trying to boil the ocean with all of the plays and all the ways that we can make our business better. So that was a really big takeaway. The other one that you kind of alluded to, you know, when it comes to the grind, I really need time to think. Like, I need to be able to not be in meetings and to be like have my head in reports and think about my business and. And just time for that. And I have some weeks where I am just back to back to back to back to back. And it's like, it's not doing my team a service. It's not doing the people that I'm meeting with the service when I'm so jammed in meetings. And so I actually like, I think that the, the t- doing tasks less and doing meaningful thinking and strategic thinking and project work more, I think pays much bigger dividends.
0: What would be an example of a difference between like meaningful thinking and tasks?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So for example, right now we're I'm, I'm talking to my team about how we performance manage. And a task might be, okay, I have a team and 20% of their reps are underperforming. Can you send me the reports and can you send me what you're gonna do about them? All right, let's have a meeting. We're gonna check in on it, you know, and we're solving for the immediate term. All right, how are we gonna prove this over the next eight to 12 weeks? Whereas maybe I take a step back And I plan a series of meetings with my team to talk about what is our performance management philosophy and principle as a leadership group. And, you know, some of the things I've been thinking about, we use these words interchangeably, but, you know, is someone on a coaching plan? Is someone on a performance plan? Is somebody on a development plan? Is someone on a performance improvement plan? And we all use these interchangeably. And to some leaders, those mean different things. A development plan might be, These are some of the like chunkier long-term goals a rep or manager has, including like navigating, you know, being organizationally savvy. Can you get stuff done within the organization? Managing complexity, you know, can you problem solve things that are a little larger problems than not? And we have these kind of buckets of attributes. And that to me would be a development plan. You know, how do we help you develop your skills? And then the other one, a coaching plan is, Your deal size is the lowest of anyone on the team. We got to coach you and figure out how you can, like, improve your performance there. And so how do we make sure that our managers understand what our expectations are of them as frontline leaders and how they should upskill people? And also, what is our expectation of directors and upskilling our managers And building out a framework throughout the organization that's repeatable and scalable in order to upscale all of our people in whatever role they're in, from rep to manager to director, and how do we hold them all accountable and measure whether they're getting better in the coaching plans that we create for them?
0: Yeah. where one is, here's the specific thing I need from you and you need to do that is the current process to make sure I have the necessary information that I hope to be able to think about one day versus... Is our process working? Correct. Yeah. From my experience, sitting in the management role, it's very challenging. Whether you're a direct manager or you're higher up, it's it's a really hard balance to have. Mm-hmm. So, what is the? Because I keep thinking of of the size of your team and your the what you oversee is like a small town. What is like the major difference that you've noticed throughout your career? between like the, let's call it director, where you're overseeing 30 people, two frontline managers, versus like what you're doing now? Like, is there a big difference? Is it, does it feel different being disconnected from the from the customer, maybe you are connected? Like what, what are some of the things that can give some, maybe if there's a sales leader listening to this, that, you know, aspires to be, a, you know, a senior vice president one day overseeing, you know, a small city, are there things that they should know, like there's a big difference?
1: The one that I miss the most is just, you know, I'm not in sales calls, like the thing that you started to be good at and that you enjoyed and that gave you energy, like as you move up, it becomes less and less and you're not conscious of it. You know, so I'm still on customer calls, but I tend to be involved more towards, you know, as an executive sponsor and at certain points. And so, so it's just that you end up missing some of that. It just, you know, the time dedicated their changes. The other one is, you have to be super intentional about keeping a pulse of what is happening on the floor, the virtual sales floor. And, you know, I do roundtables with reps that don't include managers. I do roundtables with managers that don't include directors. And, you know, and and I tell them, you know, selfishly, these are for me to understand what, what I can do to make your jobs better. And selfishly, you should all feel selfish as well. Like ask me any question you want to ask me, you know, hard hitting curveballs, something's frustrating you. And so keeping that real open dialogue with the floor and making sure you're super intentional and consistent. Otherwise, there's a real disconnect from what I understand is happening in the business and getting off the spreadsheets into reality.
0: I feel like the more distant you are from the customer, the harder it is to maintain that trusted relationship with the people who are closest. It's like you can't come in disingenuous with that conversation or else like it's just not good. Like how do you maintain that level of connections where you get honest feedback from people while also having the level of of respect that there needs to be in place for them to listen, do what they're told or do what they're asked and like still, you know, follow instructions on coaching and all that stuff. Like, is, like, is there a specific thought process or mindset you have towards that kind of working relationship?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think once I, when I'm coming out of, you know, I take notes from these round tables, but also we have a partner network. And so I hear from partners, frustrations from customers. I hear from part, you know, or prospects I hear from, or just opportunities as well, you know, like, we don't have this integration and we're losing all of our deals and this is an important one and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I, I think part of it is being able to communicate with the floor. This is what I'm hearing. You know, would you agree? This is what our plan is to do something about it. If I could do that, how much better would that make your life or your day? But it it is a relationship of trust and authenticity. And we're customer first and rep first. We solve for the company, you know, more than, more than anything, but we really solve for the rep. And so, you know, we take a lot of surveys and we repeat back, this is what we are saying to us. Here's what we're doing about it. So I think that there's a a pretty good dialogue that's pretty consistent that's happening within the organization saying like, we hear you.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's. I feel like a lot of managers and a lot of leadership teams miss that connectivity on the feedback. They'll go and talk and have the conversations, but when it comes time to act on it, that's it's not brought back. There's not like a consistent dialogue, and and companies feel like they're connected with their team by having those roundtables, but then there's nothing after that. There's no 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 connectivity. There's no confirmation. There's no additional, and they just kind of lose their steam. It's like companies that have you know monthly all hands and then no one's paying attention, everyone's off camera, it's like, well, it's because there's probably no feedback loop back to them about the things that are talked about. It's just like a depository of words that people have to show up to. So I think that's important. And I I know we're running up on time. So I would say anything, I know we covered a lot of stuff. I don't think we got anything like super deep. And there were some topics we didn't really get to. But Looking back on your career, you know, going through because we could have talked about product led and sales and all that stuff we didn't get to, you know, the the, the era that HubSpot kind of ushered everyone into. But it's like if there were a couple of things, two to three things that you would want, maybe like a sales leader or maybe even a SaaS founder to take away, like to keep these things top of mind and to like, never forget these things as you're kind of going through your career, you know, building process and whatnot. Like what would, what would one of those be or a couple of them?
1: I mean, this one, maybe this is too simplistic, but just, you know, customer first salt for the customer, you know? So that's the first one. It's, it really is a higher order that we have at HubSpot. At least it keeps me humble And super empathetic to like what they're going through and where we can make things better. So so that's certainly one. The other is we just talked about that feedback loop, you know, hear from your people often repeat back what you hear from them and what you're doing to improve things or not doing and why and why you make those decisions. I think there's a level of transparency we have at HubSpot internally that has been really refreshing where I think a lot of decisions and at companies happen in closed doors and people don't know why and they're just recipients. They're just recipients of we're changing something and here's why and suck it up and move along. And I think we try to bring people along for the ride, which builds that trust and authenticity.
0: There's like inclusion in the process at that point.
1: Yep. And then, you know, we touched on this, but you know, this is coming up in Massachusetts. You know, should we move to a 32 hour work week? You know, this conversation of the should we move to a four day work week? But I do really think that, you know, even policies, we have a no internal meeting Friday. You know, listen, we see activity dip on Friday. But if my team is using that to recharge or if they're using that time to do research, which you don't see, you know, in activity numbers and they're going deeper and understanding who their customers are, their prospects are like, I'll take that all day long.
0: That's because it's a greater picture. Like if they're still, if they're still hitting numbers, you're still, you know, hitting goal, but there's a drop in activity one day. It's like, well, the outcome's there. Right. And, and I think people get too, too focused in on the in-between and they're not like, is this getting us to our goal? So I would agree on that too. Like, there's just, just because the phone's not getting dialed doesn't mean things aren't happening. There's so many things that happen in, in between the logged activity that we don't see. Well, it's been great, Michelle. I appreciate you being on the show today. I know we didn't get to some of the stuff we had talked about before recording, but I feel like we added some value to some sales leaders and SaaS founders today. I appreciate you being here and thanks for showing up.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of the Selling SaaS podcast. And if you got value from today, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.